You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. On the outside, here comes Lily T with Pat Day. Brandon Jaggers. Louis Couture is in the 16th pole, going to run away from him now. Louis Couture is in Pat Day. Louis Couture is to win Preakness 121 by about three. And me, CC Broadus. Commendable Pat Day aboard. Commendable takes the Belmont. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm CC Broadus, and checking to see if my pals are here. Alan Schneider, are you there? Oh yeah, I'm definitely here tonight. I'm I'm all fanboy tonight because we we've got uh, a very very special guest. So yes, I am definitely here. Absolutely. And Brandon Jaggers, are you there? Yeah, I'm floating down the Ohio, so I'm outside uh, canoeing back up at. Uh, Hope hopefully uh, I'm just excited about tonight. I wouldn't miss it, even if I was owing a, uh, rowing a boat down the Ohio right now. Be careful <laughs> for all the floods. I feel I feel bad for a lot of the flood and recent flood victims in Kentucky. That's that's true. Okay, so uh, like Alan said, we do have a special guest tonight, and I'm going to introduce that guest right now. We're going to get right into things. Our guest this evening is uh, simply one of the greatest jockeys to ever sit on the back of a horse. <laughs> His accomplishments rival any athlete in American sports history, and he's a household name in the state of Kentucky, especially Louisville. Known for his patience and his soft hands, his riding style was notorious for perfectly timed rides or getting his horses to relax while on the lead. His enviable list of laurels include uh, receiving the Eclipse Award for Outstanding Jockey on four different occasions, leading the country in number of wins in six different years, being inducted into the National Racing Hall of Fame, He's the leading jockey in number of wins at Churchill Downs and Keeneland. He won 12 Breeders' Cup races, including the inaugural 1984 Breeders' Cup Classic aboard Wild Again. He collected victories in nine different Triple Crown races as well, winning the Kentucky Derby once, the Preakness five times, and the Belmont Stakes three times. Only Eddie R. Carroll and Bill Shoemaker have ridden more Triple Crown race winners. He's ridden some of the best horses to ever look through a bridle, Lady Secret, Easy Goer, 49er, Dance Smartly, Azari, Unbridled, Theatrical, and many, many more. As fierce as a competitor as he was on the track, he's even more so a gentleman off the track. He's a faithful, born-again Christian and never misses an opportunity to share his personal testimony to those who would listen. In 2006, Churchill Downs unveiled a statue honoring our guest near the paddock where he was legged up on so many winners. And in 2015, Churchill Downs renamed the race formerly known as the Derby Trial in his honor as well. If you haven't guessed it by now, our guest this evening on the Auxiliary Gate podcast is racing icon Pat Day. Pat, how are you doing tonight? Well, after that introduction, there's nothing more left to be said. I tell you what, that was uh, uh, very flattering. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to be on with you guys. Thank you. Well, we're just trying to do you justice. That's all. so, Pat, when I think about your career, one of the things that comes to my mind is your riding style. Your rides were always timed to perfection, whether it was, you know, like launching a furious late rally to nab the front runner on the wire like an awesome again. Or, you know, you could get horses such as Cat Thief, Wild Again, Commendable to relax and be on, on or near the lead and just get into a rhythmic early gallop and then save some for the end of the race. I've always wondered, is that... 
Is that something that you learn over time, or is it an instinct, a God-given talent? You know, how do you, how did you go about attaining these skills? Um, I think you you called it right. It's God-given talent. I think I I polished that, uh, but I was I was ble- I was I think I was born to be a jockey. I'm four foot eleven. I weigh about 115 pounds today. When I was riding, I was never over 100, 102 pounds. Um, you know, just the just just the right size. Um, uh, but in in conjunction with that, I was tremendously blessed with uh, with talent and ability and ability to get the horses to do what I wanted them to do when I wanted them to do that with minimal encouragement on my part, whether that was to settle in the early stages or give me their very best in the drive, and then an intuitiveness of knowing when to do that and and uh, you know I, I reflect back on some of the races that I rode and there there was no rhyme or reason for what I'd done what I'd done except the end result was that I'd win and um, uh, you know I can, can only uh, g- give credit where credit is due and that's the, the tremendous amount of God-given talent and ability that I've been blessed with. So you're originally from Colorado uh, where did you start riding initially? Well, I was raised in a farming ranching community in Colorado, so I was riding horses at a very early age. But I didn't get introduced to, to race horses uh, until I was 19. And, and I actually I started riding. I started on a farm in Riverside, California in January 1973. Uh, when I went to the farm and, and secured a job, uh, they told me I need. And I'd never been to the races at that point. Uh, I all the the only thing I knew about the great sport of horse racing was Bill Shoemaker, Eddie Arcaro, and the Kentucky Derby. And I'm not even sure when or where I I I pick up those names. But that was my familiarity with the great sport of horse racing. So I go to a farm in Riverside, California, in January '73, and the farm owner and the farm manager, uh, the farm manager, a guy named Gene Cummings, and owned by the the uh, uh, a fellow named Farrell Jones, who was Gary Jones's father, and he was a, a renowned, both of them renowned horse trainers. But uh, I sat down with them, and and uh, they said, "You want to be a jock?" I said, "Yeah." Now you got to remember, I didn't have a clue what I was trying to become. <laughs> said, well, we we think this is what you need to do. You need to be on the farm for two to three years, learning the industry from the ground up, and at the end of that period of time, depending on how quickly you catch on. Uh, we'll we'll send you to the racetrack. You'll go under contract with somebody there. You'll continue to to uh, hone your skills. You'll experience life at the track. You'll watch the races, study the films. You do that for a year, and you'll be ready to start riding. And I'm sitting there thinking, three or four years to learn how to ride a race, and and then I didn't have a clue what I was trying to become. So I lasted a month and left. I said, if it's going to take three years, I. I I, I I don't want to I don't want to put in that kind of time. I was, um, you know, it was farm labor for the most part, daylight till dark, seven days a week, minimal pay. And I thought, I really don't want to do this for three years to to get to to be able to compete. At that time, I'd been I've been uh, playing my trade as a as a rodeo cowboy. I was trying to ride bulls and uh, having a very minimal amount of success, but. I thoroughly enjoyed the lifestyle and and, um, and so I was I would give up the the dream of <clears throat> excuse me being a being a jockey and I I went back to trying to be a bull rider um, 
I, I know today that God had other other plans in mind because a few short months later, I found myself on a racetrack in Arizona. In early summer, I went to work for a, a fellow named Carl Pugh who had been uh, a professional team roper and had, had changed over to training uh, racehorses just a few years prior to that. And him and I hit it right off, became best of friends. I started getting on his horses, galloping his horses. Uh, by the middle of the summer, I told Carl, I said, I, I want to start riding. And Carl said, well, I'll hold your contract and, and uh, let you ride a few of them. But I'm, you know, make a long story short, July 29th of 1973, I won my first horse race. We, we went back to California for the uh, Los Angeles County Fair in, in Pomona. And uh, uh, the, the Carl took a horse with him and, and um, he ran the horse. We thought he was way over his head. But to make a long story short, he, he won. Uh, and when I came out of the jockey's room that night, Mr. Cummins, the farm manager, uh, and he just shook his head and said, it is you. He, he couldn't believe that I was the same guy that had been on the farm in January. And, and I say all of that to say that. That was testimony. That is testimony to the incredible talent and ability the Lord had blessed me with. I was just an absolute natural. I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't tell you what I was doing. Even if you could tell you why I didn't move from the race, except it felt like the right thing to do at the time. And ultimately, it, you know, it wound up in my favor. It wound up uh, it, it succeeding. So, Pat, at what point did you uh, did you get discovered? You know, people, you know, finally figured out, hey, this guy can ride. Well, I tell you, early on, and people have told me this today. Early on, people people knew they could see I I was gifted, I was talented, but I had a bad attitude. And you know, when, when something comes so fast and so furious and so easy. We have a natural tendency to take it for granted and not really respect it or appreciate it. And that was me. At the end of the day, I was looking for higher highs. It didn't matter how many races I won. I was just, I was a party boy and I was just living life. And um, in the midst of that, I was, I was being successful, although it was sporadic. Uh, you know, I had brushes, got in trouble several times. Uh, but it really come full circle in January of 1984 when, when I committed my life to Christ uh, at that juncture, at that moment in time, I got set free from the addictive lifestyle I was caught up in, recognized that I'd been blessed with tremendous talent and ability, God given talent. And um, I, at that point, I accepted the responsibility to take it and do the best that I possibly could. The word of God says, do all that you do with all of your heart as though you were doing it under the Lord and not unto man. And that that became my focus after 1984. And, <clears throat> you know, my career had been steadily on the rise, but there was a lot of dips and dives in between from the time I started in 73 until January of 84. But from that point forward, it was pretty much straight up. Uh, you know, when when I started clear mindedly accepting the responsibility to, to do the best that I could with the talent the Lord had blessed me with. Um, I, I started appreciating the opportunities, appreciating the people that I was working with and working for, recognized that I was just a link in the chain. You know, I, prior prior to 84, I was I had a real tendency to pat myself on the back and take full credit when we won. 
and lay off the blame to everybody, the horse and everybody around us when we got beat. Uh, I recognized that I was just a link in the chain. Everybody uh, that was involved with that horse, when we rode into the, into the winter circle, ultimately we all shared uh, equally in, the, in that result. We were only, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so the groom, the hot water, the exercise personnel, assistant trainer, trainer, I mean, and the bottom line, the owners, obviously, who were, were paying on all these great horses. But it was it was a it was a, a, a joint effort. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, from January 84 forward, um, it was a till, till I, the Lord led me to retire in 2005. It was a tremendous ride. OK, Pat, well, let's talk about your tremendous. There's a there's a couple of uh, several items I want to want to talk about here let's talk about first uh, 1984 uh you rode wild again in the breeders cup classic it was the it was the inaugural edition of, of that great series of races uh you were you're on wild again who was a, a big long shot he was kind of an afterthought you know the the, the race seemingly was all about uh, slew of gold uh and and he was uh he was a big horse that year but uh, in the race itself you, you break well you put the horse on the lead but the fractions were incredibly quick early on. Early in that race, did were you like, uh, I'm going a little too fast. I don't, I'm not sure what to do. Or is it just your confidence in, you had a lot of confidence in the horse and just let it do its thing. How, how did you view the early part of that race? Well, it, it, I had ridden that horse several times earlier in the year. And um, uh, going into the race, I, I knew that Mugga T was in the race uh, as a, as a uh, state uh, um as a rabbit for slew of gold. He was there with one purpose to ensure a fast pace. The last thing I wanted to do was hook up with him, but uh, we broke away from the gate. He was nice and settled. We went under the wire the first time. Mugga T took a step out. Just, I don't know if he's seen something, but he kind of took a little step out when he did. Wild again, took a step out and I instinctively just left range in, in case he done something I had control. As soon as I moved my hand, took a hold of the rein, he jumped into the bridle and took off. Uh, he always had a tendency to want to bear out just a little bit. He had a his left front foot kind of turned out, and it caused him to to want to drift. And um, he's running off and trying to run out from that point forward. Uh, but I, you know, I could I could have reared back on him and, and slowed him down. But he would have been expending as much energy fighting me as he would have been, you know, running on and running as fast as he did. And so I just let him go. I tried to hold him in, keep him straight, keep him as mellow as I possibly could. When we come to the top of the stretch and slew a gold run up on the outside of me, I fully expected him to throw in the towel because I'd, I'd ridden him in a race in Oakland earlier in the year. And he ran basically the same race. And, and in that race in Arkansas, when the when the pressure started, when, you know, when the competition run to us, he just threw it in the towel. And so in the Breeders' Cup, when we got to the top of the stretch and slew a gold run up on the outside of him. I said, well, that's I really, really expect to just throw in the towel. But I've never been on a horse before or since that tried any harder from the quarter pole to the wire than Wild again did that day. I mean, slew, uh, slew a gold run up on the outside of him and looked at it. He, Wild again looked him in the eye and said, not today. Absolutely refused to get beat. Refused to throw in the towel. And so I, all I, I, I knew he was giving me that. 
keep him running, giving him every opportunity to 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 do what he does, ultimately to, to win the race. And I, so, again, I think that was it goes back to the tremendous talent and ability that God given talent that, that I was entrusted with. And it doesn't it's it's not by accident that that was in the fall of 84 after I committed my life to Christ in January of 84. And it's it's a real it's a new story how I even got the mount on, on Wednesday when the entries came out for the Breeders' Cup. I wasn't named on Wild again. Eddie Maple had the call to ride him. But he also had the call on Leroy Jolly's uh, horse in the race. I can't recall what his name was. Forgive me. And Leroy was going was between the sprint and the and the classic up until entry time. And when he opted to go in the classic as opposed to the sprint, um, Eddie rode t- track Baron, and I got the got the call on Wildigan. I'm in the jocks room at Hollywood Park, and the overnight came in the room. You gentlemen know what the overnight is, I presume. Yes. It's just a single sheet of paper with all the, you know, the races listed on there with the, the riders and the trainers. And and so I'm looking at the overnight and I got to the classic. I didn't have a mountain classic and I'm looking down through there and wild again without a rider. I go, wow, maybe I can get the mount having ridden the horse before. And I knew Vincent Timpany, the, the trainer. So I went running in the front of the jocks room. I was going to have the, uh, the clerk of scales uh, call the announcer and have him page for. Vincent Timpany to, to call me to call the jocks room so I could speak with him and, and hopefully make them out. And as I came in from the jockey's room in from the outside, uh, coming in, in the door was Vincent Timpany and Bill Allen, one of the uh, one of the three owners uh, of Black Chip Sable. And when they when they seen me and I seen them and I said, can I? And they said, would you? <laughs> I mean, they were coming to get me and I was coming to get them. And so the connection was made. I, I blew him out on Friday morning. He blew out nice. But I never expected the kind of effort that I got out of him, especially, you know, when he ran off in the body of the race. But as, as I said, he he just absolutely refused to give up. So Wild again wins the race and he goes down in history. You know, at that time, did you re- realize uh, what you had accomplished by winning the race? You're now the benchmark of all of all Brewers Cup classic races. How, how did that feel? Well, you know, when incredibly proud of, of wild again uh you know with that kind of effort but uh you know reflecting back on it in january of that year I, I came to christ got set free from the bondage of drugs and alcohol uh i struggled with whether i should stay in racing or if i should go to the ministry and it was then that i met the chaplain at the racetrack in in arkansas my dear friend mike spencer and i shared with him my situation he said let's pray about it we did. We prayed and sought the Through that process, the Lord revealed to me that he had saved me to work within the racing industry. Not I was to take the talent and the ability to do the best I could, all the while being open to give the Lord the praise, the honor, and the glory. Now, initially, I thought, wow, I, the, the, there's no bigger platform than the Kentucky Derby. Evidently, I'm going to win the Derby. Well, I, I didn't win the Derby that year. But lo and behold, what comes up with the Breeders' Cup? Wild again runs the race of his life. There's a lengthy Stewart's inquiry into the stretch run. They ultimately leave Wild again up. Uh, they they declared uh, Gate uh, yeah Gate Dancer is the is the culprit, the race official, and and I got back on Wild again. I got to tell you, the Lord was the furthest thing from my mind. I was I was pretty hot, pretty keen on old Pat Day. 
man, we just three million dollar race, right? My chest is all puffed up, and and so they're they're leading the horse in a circle and waiting for all the people to get down there. And the crowd, I can hear the crowd, everybody's screaming and hollering and carrying on, and and so it, it crosses my mind when we turn and face the grandstand. I'm going to take my helmet and wave the crowd, you know, like acknowledge the crowd, play the crowd a little bit. And if the volume goes up, I'll know they're looking at me. And so when we turned to face the grandstand, I reached up and, and grabbed my helmet. When my hand touched my helmet, the audible voice of God said, it's not them. Just th- those three words. It's not them. And I realized at that moment that God had orchestrated all of this. Bless me with the talent and ability, orchestrated the opportunity to get on wild again and enabled him to give his very best effort and subsequently win this race. And big tears came to my eyes and I just looked straight up in the air, took my helmet, looked straight up in the air and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because that's that's where the credit belongs. And, and I didn't realize at the time, but they they uh, uh, took a picture of that and. And when when they finished the when they were running all the credits after the program, you know, on, on television, they had that picture in the background. And and then subsequently they used that picture in a lot of the the advertising for the Breeders Cup going forward. And in reality, that was that was kind of my coming out party as a, as a Christian, because then I was I was privileged to to win the first of four Eclipse Awards. And in front of 1,500 of, of racing's elite, uh, that was the platform. And, and I, I stood up there and said, I, I just give all the praise, the honor and the glory of this moment to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've, I've endeavored to use that platform at any and every opportunity since then, because at the end of the day, man, we're just passing through here. And what I have to share about the, the love and the trust in, in Jesus Christ, that has eternal consequences. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. I just have a burning desire to to share the love of Christ with anybody and everybody that will give me their ear. Pat, that's a great story. Uh, let's uh, let's fast forward a, li- a bit to uh, 1989. You, you've told everybody that uh, Easy Goer is probably the best horse you've ever sat on. Can you rank Easy Goer among the the the, the elites of the game, where, where would he fit in? Would he Is he as good as a spectacular bid or a Seattle flu? Oh, I think so, yes. I, I truly do. And, you know, I he he had some some uh, some physical problems. Suge McGahee done an unbelievable job with this Colt. Uh, but he had a big engine, and, and when he was right, he, I mean, go back and watch his race in the Gotham, flat mile out of the chute at, at Aqueduct. He was a fifth of a second off the world record. I never squeezed him. I never asked him to run. I let him run, but I I, I, I don't know how much faster he would have went if I would have would have gotten down on him. Um, no, he was he was a remarkable individual. Tremendous ability. Uh, you know, he, he had some quirks, but he was a he was a he was a runner. And no doubt in my mind, the, the best horse that I was privileged to ride. All right. Uh, let's go to my uh, my co-hosts here. Uh, uh, we'll go to Brandon. I think Brandon's okay right now. Brandon, you have any questions for uh, Pat? Pat, kind of what I've always liked to talk about is, is kind of the past, you know, and then where we are today in racing. 
and I don't know how much more you, you kind of stay involved, or I'm sure you still got a lot of friends in the business, but I'm telling you, just watching old races and history and, and things like that, and from the 80s and 90s, and even early 2000s, I mean, the crowds were astronomically big. We had just great rivalries. There wasn't a lot of the big top four dominant trainers that seemed to have a horse in every race and, and things. But what, what is your take on uh, today's racing versus the past, the pros and the cons of it? Well, the, the, the pros is uh, for those at the upper tier of, of the riding profession or training in the upper level, there's a tremendous amount of money out there. Uh, you know, look, look at some of these purses, $15, $20 million. Is, you know, when, when they were talking about the Breeders' Cup and they said $10 million, one day, seven races, at that time I thought, not in my lifetime. I, mean, I think we had $1 million race, which was the Arlington Million. And subsequently it came to pass and it has grown. And I think the Breeders' Cup is, is, is a great thing. I think it's been great for the industry and great for all of those involved. Um, the fan base, uh, you just said it, there, we don't have any fans. We are today having to be subsidized by alternative gambling to keep the purse structure up where, where people can pay their bills. And, and it's a, sad, it's a sta- sad indictment on the racing industry that is so spectacular, that has so much to offer. Uh, it's, it's, it's the greatest game played outdoors. And, and yet we can't get people in the stands. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, you know, hindsight's 2020. Right. Uh, looking back, uh, we should have, we should have been, you know, rallying the troops 40 years ago uh, in an effort to keep our fan base. But I, I think, I think we as an industry felt that uh, all we had to do was open the doors and the people would come. And, and then when we opened the doors and, and they weren't coming in droves, uh, we didn't take it seriously. I think, I think we kind of, you know, rocked back on our heels and said, they'll be back. And then when we finally realized they're not coming back, now we're pursuing them. And the world is mm-hmm. in such a pace. You know, everybody wants instant gratification. Yeah. You know, they, they don't want to spend the time pouring over the information. You know, handicapping is, is nearly non-existent, I think. It's, it's, you know, and that used to be the thing. People, people got the form the day before, and they spent all evening reading through there and, and getting all the information and making their educated decisions on who to wager on the next day. And, and it was, it was um, there was a lot to that. Well, if you're in, in the instant gratification mode, uh, you, you make a wager and then you got 25 minutes to see if you win or lose. You know, they'd rather go to the slot machine or table games or whatever it is. And, you know, you, you lay your money down, roll the dice and, you know, instantly if you won or lost. And, right. and we're living in a microwave society. and We're going faster and faster and faster. And I, I don't I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how we we rebuild our fan base. Uh, but that's. Uh, that it's 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 um i can't imagine especially this last year with covid and no fans in the stands but um it it's always more fun to play in front of a full house i love derby day i love the crowd the enthusiasm the excitement when there's nobody in the stands it's it's 
it's still fun. Don't get me wrong. It was, I, I just enjoyed riding and, and competing and ultimately winning. That was, that was, that was, uh, you know, that was what it, everybody wants to win. I think even down the line of, you know, cause I'm in a small little ownership group and when you're racing and you're the only one cheering for your horse, it's kind of, it's very odd. It doesn't feel like what I wanted it to feel like when I was at Keeneland and got a third in a maiden claim. And I thought I, I thought I won a Breeders' Cup race almost, you know, <laughs> when there's 22,000 there, it's a way different feeling, but yeah, yeah. you're right. And, and we don't have the answers either. Cause I mean, I'm the youngest on the pod at 41, but uh, I, I don't see many of the twenties and the younger thirties, all that involved. And, you know, we see it as a, as a, as a lifestyle, as a, as a fun day and food and, you know, camaraderie with other fans and friends. And, but you're right. There's a big gap in between those, that fan base. And uh, I think it's great with some of the technology initiatives, but you know, who knows what, what's going to be like in the future and, and things. But so do you have any like, uh, top riders that you like to follow and stay connected to or trainers today or how much are you still in the business well um uh, today my my time is spent uh with ministry in ministry with the with the chaplaincy i'm currently the president of the kentucky racetrack chaplaincy uh helping helping uh, provide the chaplain uh, i'm not a chaplain I love to share my story. I love to to go around loving on people and telling them about the awesome love of God. But I'm I'm not a chaplain, <clears throat> but I'm privileged at this point in time to to be the president of the Kentucky Racetrack Chaplaincy, overseeing the activities <clears throat> of our. We have a full time chaplain at uh, at Turfway in Belterra in Northern Kentucky. Uh, we have a chaplain that works in the summertime at Ellis Park, and then we have full time chaplain at at Churchill Downs and a, a lady over the women and children. Uh, as you know, the 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 uh, there's becoming more and more women working working with the horses and oh and, yeah uh, and so we have a lady that that helps to minister to the women and children and at this juncture I'm I'm just trying to provide help provide uh, the chaplains with what they need to to do the work the Lord's called them to so um, in a matter of speaking I'm today I'm I'm working with the people that work with the horses not working with the horses and. So I I don't follow it closely. I mean we've got some some stand up riders say uh, you know that ride good races and and do an excellent job. But I haven't followed them real closely. Uh, the trainers obviously there there's some some uh, huge stables that uh, you know the the Todd Fletcher and Steve Asmussen and and goodness uh, uh, I'm, I'm pulling a blank on the uh, there's two other uh, Chad Brown and and Brad Cox. Yeah. Stables in are doing, doing, I mean, tremendous success, um, you know, and my hat's off to them. Uh, but I, I haven't uh, kind of a long winded answer to your question. I haven't followed the races, followed the horses, followed the people, the trainers and, and owners and, and such. Uh, I haven't followed them real closely uh, since I, since I retired. Yeah, but I, I think you're doing the right thing and, and carrying a, a great message and helping those that do need it. And, you know, there, there's a lot of the of the game that people don't see, the behind the scenes, and, and we appreciate your efforts in that as well. Well, I, I find it to be tremendously rewarding 
you know, my involvement with the chaplaincy is, is my effort to give back to the industry that has been so incredibly good to, to myself and my family. Uh, and the ministry at large, I just I just thoroughly, you know, there's no joy like the joy of sharing the gospel message and ultimately uh, having the privilege of praying with someone that they might receive Christ into their heart and, and know without a doubt that not if, but when that person uh, draws their last breath. And, and the last time I checked, death was 100%. Nobody gets out of here alive. So when mm-hmm. that individual draws their last breath, I know, I know that that person's going to heaven. And, uh, uh, you know, what I'm doing today is decidedly more rewarding and fulfilling at the end of the day than the successful racing career. Uh, the racing career was just a stepping stone, if you would, to to what the Lord has me doing today. Right. Well, Alan, uh, you have any questions for Pat? Do I have any questions for Pat Day? I mean, I've got a list of them. I'm going to try to select through them. I mean, I'm honored to talk to Pat. And by the way, I should thank uh, our my friend Kim Grigsby for putting us in touch with Pat. She's a wonderful woman, and we appreciate her for putting us in touch with you, Pat. So I want to thank Kim first and foremost. You know, CC touched on some uh, some of your great horses, great races from the past, and we'd be here until Thanksgiving if I try to name every horse, every great ride that you'd had. But uh, one that I wanted to bring up was the 98 Breeders Cup Classic. I was there that day. There was Skip Way, there was Silver Charm, there was Swain, there was Victory Gallop. It was a, it was a who's who of racing. And then and somehow you split horses in deep stretch with Awesome again uh, to win that. And, and one of the most thrilling classics of my lifetime. Where, where does that win rank for you uh, amongst all the other great wins you've had? Well, it was a, it was a great victory. That, that Colt had, uh, uh, Pat Burns had done a wonderful job with him. And I, I was privileged to get the mount on him. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, we had a, we had a perfect season capped off by, uh, uh the victory in, in the Breeders' Cup. And things broke, broke well for him that day. Obviously, I think that was the deepest field, uh, ever oh, yeah. since the Breeders' Cup. I mean, top to bottom, you could make a case for every horse in the race. <clears throat> but, uh, the, you know, the, the, the field broke, spread out. He got, uh, you know, he, he, he got a dream trip. When we come off the turn and, and uh, uh, oh, goodness, now I just used Silver Charm and, and uh, what was the horse that finished third? Swain? Uh, Swain. Swain. Swain, yeah. Uh, Swain, uh, you know, come around and, and he drifted real wide. And so Gary took Silver Charm out to meet him uh, and keep him entertained, and, you know, because Silver Charm had a tendency to kind of want to, weight on horses just a bit and when i arrived it was it was like the parting of the red sea and awesome again was full of run and and uh you know come on down there and and uh, and got the money it was it was one of those days one of those races when everything broke right do they all and break the right horse, the horse was up to was up to the task obviously you know you get those days when you're on when, when everything breaks right but if the hole's moving faster than you are it's it's it doesn't do you any good right i can only imagine i'm almost 200 pounds so i'll have to take your word for that <laughs> uh, the pat day mile the pat day you've got a race named after you not everybody has such an honor it's on derby day and since i've got you here can you give me do you have any advice on picking a winner that in that race or I, I, I'm, I'm terrible at that <laughs> <laughs> well i can 
If I was you, I'd bet on the jockey and the white pants. <laughs> you got it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'll try to keep that in I'll mind. Tell you, I'll tell you a real quick story, and you you'll you'll you won't want my picks anymore. When I retired, Churchill Downs, and you just alluded to, they've since named this uh, the Derby Trial. They took it from the Saturday opening day to Derby Day, and and renamed it the Pat Day Mile, which I'm I'm just blown away by that. I'm blown away by the statue in the Rose Garden. You know, it's but but uh, they had a little retirement party for me out there at Churchill Downs in the fall of the year. And, and uh, they had made a suite available for myself, and my family and, and friends. And so we got out there and, and uh, my daughter's looking at the program, my daughter, Irene. And and uh, she had met Johnny McKee and liked him. And she said, uh, Dad, Johnny's riding a horse in this race. Uh, can I can I bet on him? And I sure sure baby go ahead. So she went and made a wager and Johnny won. So now she come in, she got a handful of money and all she's all excited and and she said who do you, who do you like in this race, Dad? And so I'm looking at the program and I said now wait a minute. I said who do you like? Well she pointed at a horse written by my dear friend Kelvin Burrell. And so I I looked at the looked at the past performances. I I I couldn't make this horse win. If everybody in the race fell down, he couldn't win. That's what I thought, right? So I said, honey, I said, this horse don't stand a chance. I mean, look, look. So I do my astute handicapping. I said, I like this one and this one. Well, this one and this one are still running. Kelvin's horse won, paid 60 some dollars, and I don't know <laughs> if the given me yet. So that's my, oh, my handicapping skills. Well, I tell you what, you you kind of we're talking about Derby Day here, and if, when you drive through downtown Louisville, I think you omitted one honor that the city bestowed on you. Uh, there's a 50 foot for people who don't know. There's about a 50 foot picture of Pat Day on a building in downtown Louisville. Um, I'm, it may be more than 50 feet for all I know. H- have you have you gotten used to seeing that when you drive through downtown Louisville? Well, that, that's you know. Louisville has wrapped their arms around about me and my family. This, this is our home, and I'm, I'm honored beyond belief to do that. You know, that's like the statue, like the race. Uh, just, you know, it, it's it's tremendous. And um, you know what? I, I, I'm proud of the picture, but I'm I'm more proud of the pose because ultimately it's it's the pose. It was me on the ground after the Derby and in, in the in the Aboard Little E.T. in the 1992 Kentucky Derby. Uh, as you know, I, I think that was the 10th time I had ridden in it. I'd come close on several occasions. Um, everybody in, in racing, at least in North America, wants to win the Kentucky And it may be the world over, but I know in, in the United States and North America, everybody wants to win the Kentucky Derby. And I was like everybody else. And so to, to win that race and and afterwards, I'm, I'm on the ground and looking to the heavens and just just thanking Jesus, thanking my, my loving Savior for uh, allowing me to be in that position and to enjoy that tremendous victory. Speaking of that, you it came about the last hundred yards. I think you passed. Uh, I think I think you got to leave about a hundred yards from where I, if my memory serves. At, at, at that moment, does it does it dawn on you? Because we haven't talked to a Derby winning jockey yet. That, that you just won the Kentucky, that you're going to win the Kentucky Derby second before the wire. I mean, does that does that hit you? Or does it hit you after the gallop out? When does that when does uh, that moment wash over you? 
Well, it 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 really the the distinct possibility of winning. I mean, you go into every race, you know, with positive attitude. If you, if you're in them, you can win them. Is kind of a, a a mantra. You if you're in them, you can win them. And so you you conjure up a positive attitude. You go out there to give it your best shot. Obviously, I had come into that race several times previously with horses that. Uh, at least on paper, appeared to have a better chance. I loved Lynn Whiting. He'd done an excellent job with this colt, and I knew he was going to get a big effort effort out of him. But was that going to be good enough? And of course, yeah. Arazi, he was he was the champion two year old and came into the race, you know, just uh, the horse to beat. And um, as the, as the race unfolded, we broke really good that day. Got into the race well. We got down into the first turn, and I can't remember the horse's name. A boy from Ireland came in to ride him. And he, and he kind of swung out in front of me just as we got to the turn. I had to steady for just a, just a jump or two, which had really had no consequence. And we got leveled off. We're going up the backside, moving nice, got a handful of horse. Um, and about the half mile pole, the Rossi went by me. Uh, and there was Pvel with his feet in the dashboard. Looked like he had a ton of horse. And, and I just went, well, I guess I'm running for second money at best. And, so after he went by, I pulled out from behind horses and followed him. And much to my surprise, he didn't just keep running away from me. He opened up four or five lengths and then just kind of stayed there. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I followed him around the turn and about the 516s pole, I seen Patrick change holds on him, which from a rider's perspective, he's, he's pushing on the accelerator at that point. And he got no response. And that really pumped my heart up. I go, oh, wow, I've got him. So then I looked down the racetrack to see who else was still in front. And um, Chris Antley was on the fence on a horse. I can't recall what his name was. And Gary Stevens was just going past him on casual lies. And I haven't really put Little E.T. to the task yet. I, I know I'm going to get a run out of him. So we come off the turn and I, I hunkered down on him and he he dropped. When horses extend their stride, their back drops. And so we say they drop down, and he, he dropped down and went to running. And uh, coming to the eighth pole, I'm, I'm running past Gary, and I'm like, just don't fall off, Pat. Just don't fall off. You, you, you're gonna... <laughs> and there was. There was a feeling at that, at that moment. When I went past casualized, there was a feeling started building way down in the pit of my stomach. It just kept building and building and building. And. When I crossed the finish line in front, I just stood up and, and just screamed to the heavens, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I was just, yeah, there, there was, it was a feeling like none other. And it's a feeling that, you know, people have asked me, what was it like? What did it feel like to win the Derby? And I've given a lot of thought to that. And there's only one word, indescribable. Uh, it, it, you just can't, you just can't explain it. You can't describe it. It's, 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 um, it's impossible to put it into words and and uh, and deliver it in such a way that people can really realize the joy that comes over you uh, when you cross the finish line. I, I can imagine. I can. How many times have you watched the race in the 27 years since 28 years? How many times have you watched it? Oh goodness! Whenever I get a little bit down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I've I've watched it a lot of times, but. As I just shared with you, I can I can pull it up in my mind in a heartbeat and 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 I'm right back in the saddle and I can make my trip around the oval almost jump for jump in my mind. So it's it's pretty special. 
Hey, Pat, I wanted to ask you about your gallop out uh, after the, the 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 direct aftermath of that 92 Kentucky Derby victory when you were uh, with the Outrider and you're talking to Jim McKay and then you quoted Romans 8:28. All good things come to those who love Jesus and are called according to his purpose. Was that something maybe you, you had pre-planned? He's like, if I'm ever in this moment, I'm going to quote this Bible verse. Or is that something that's just spontaneous? Yeah, it was completely spontaneous. Um, no, I hadn't given any thought to that. I, in, in 84, I actually had a little mini sermon. I was going to give the whole world. Uh, I just knew I was going to win the Derby. That was, you know, I came to Christ in 84, got the revelation. I was to stay in racing, uh, using any, any success as a platform with which to get the Lord's attention. I just knew I was going to win the Derby and I wanted to be prepared. So, uh, I put together what, uh, I thought it was an awesome little mini sermon, a, little snippet that I was going to deliver. And uh, I guess the Lord said, no, you're not quite ready for that. So he let me practice for several more years. But no, when, when, when I was with Coy, the outrider on the backside, it was completely spontaneous. I had actually quoted that scripture a, a number of times previous to that, uh, after the Kentucky Derby, uh, you know, when the reporters gather around and because yeah, as you know, I, I ran second. Uh, the one year I was on 49er, got beat by winning colors. Easy goer got beat by Sunday silence. And summer squall got beat by Bridal. And um, so I, you know, I, I come back in the jocks room and you know, press gather up. Uh, they asked me about what happened. And I answered all their questions very cool, calm and collectedly. And, and again, I, I, I've got a, I, I, I've got to give the Lord the credit because I was, I was a horrible loser and an arrogant winner prior prior, prior to coming to, to, to Jesus. And to stand there cool, calm, and collectively and answer their questions after just getting beat in the race that everybody wants to win uh, was really, that was not my character. That that, that was not the way I conducted myself pre- previously. And so I answered all their questions, and, and uh, then somebody would say, well, you don't seem to be very upset. And I said, well, I'm, uh, you know, my God promises me in Romans 8:28 that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Ultimately, that was the end of the press conference. But um, you, you interject a little scripture and kind of the end of the story. But but um, so when after the race with Little Et, it just it just came out. Um, you know, that was that was, and that's pretty much my go-to scripture. You know. If you really believe that God's on the throne and in control, if you truly take God at his word, and I do, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and I was doing what he, he would have me to do, and I, I could leave the results in his hands and be happy with that. Now, you know, when, when I got beat, I was disappointed, yeah, because I wanted to win. And when I won, I was, I was elated, but not over the moon. And, and you know, it... it, it kind of leveled off my life significantly uh, and I know I know from experience that you know he's working whatever the circumstances are however they play out win lose or draw he's, it's working out for my good and for his glory and ultimately at the end of the day my heart's desire is my heart's desire is to, to glorify my lord okay pat well your message is powerful we want to thank you so 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 much for joining us tonight. We're like I told you before we started recording. We're we're huge fans. Have always appreciated your work uh, on the track and off the track. Pat, 
uh, on behalf of Alan and Brandon, uh, we, like I said, we're, we're grateful that you joined us. Any parting thoughts before we, before we go? No, I oh. just, I love you guys. Uh, appreciate your, your love and care and concern for our sport and, and, uh, wish you nothing but God's best. Well, thank you very much. Thank God you. bless you, Pat. Great. Great to be on your program, man. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you, sir. That was Pat Day. Certainly a gentleman and a classy representative for the sport that we love. Uh, we apologize for the technical difficulties throughout, but uh, that's that's part of uh, that's part of live podcasting, I guess. But uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, the show, and we hope you enjoyed Pat's message. And on behalf of Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers, this is CC Broadus reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home. <laughs>